seated. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please open it up to the book of Acts, chapter 17. The book of Acts, chapter 17. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 34. If you don't have a Bible, you can just raise your hand. One of our ushers will give you one. If that is, you're in the situation that you don't have a Bible at all, you can keep the one from us. That's a gift to you. Please keep it, read it, apply it to your life, live it out. If you do have one and you're just borrowing one, you can leave it in your seat when you're done. We'll pick it up later and we'll use it again next week. Thanks for that. Acts 17, starting in verse 16, all the way through verse 34. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshiped God, as well as in the marketplace, every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, may we learn about this new teaching you are presenting. Because what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians... And the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Since we are God's offspring then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art or imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent Because he has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. But others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This is the word of God. Our current series in Acts is called Growing Pains. Not like the sitcom, but a similar title. Last week, we saw Paul, Silas, and Timothy persecuted in Thessalonica and in Berea. And Paul left there to go to Athens, where we find him in this passage. He sent word for Silas and Timothy to come and meet him there. But our passage today is while he was waiting on their arrival. Last week, Pastor Philip said something really well that I'm actually going to quote. He said, It's important to know who God really is 
You can fall in love with the God of your imagination and not even realize it. He went on to say, we don't want to be in love with our imaginations. We want to be in love with the true and living God. One of the biggest problems in the world today, including in greater Charleston, is that people don't know God. Yes, there are lots of problems we can name. We can talk about systemic structures. We can talk about politics. We can talk about poverty. All kinds of things that we can delve into that are problems in the world that are results of sin in this broken world. But at the bottom of it, people don't know God. Friends, today I want you to hear me. God exists. The one true living God exists, and we can truly know him through his son, Jesus Christ. The title of today's message is simply Knowing God, not the book by J.I. Packer, but that is a book that you should check out if you like um, what we're talking about in this sermon or what's in this passage. It can be really helpful in helping you to know what the whole Bible says about God, but today we're going to look at the book in which God reveals himself, the Bible. So here's something I want to make clear to you. As we talk about knowing God, I want you to understand that I do not want you to leave here today with, okay, now I have more facts about God. I know more about God. Great sermon, Jake. Check that off the list. My desire for you and what Paul wanted these Athenians to know is that they can actually know God personally, lovingly, joyfully. They can have a relationship with the true living God. In today's passage, Paul shares the good news that we can know God through Jesus Christ. Look back at verse 16. It says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. Now, Athens was the city where great philosophers had been four or five hundred years before this. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Some of you are like, I don't know anything about philosophy, but I have heard those names. That's kind of me. That's all I really know, too. They were there, though. This is a place that... Um, is known in the Roman Empire. At this point, it wouldn't have been as big as it was at its peak four or five hundred years before, but it was still known for this place to go and have these big discussions and debates and to be deep thinkers. Some of you who are deep thinkers are like, oh yeah, come on, give us a deep sermon. Some of you who are more like feel-good people are like, man, don't bore us with a lecture today. We're just going to preach the word and let it fall where it may. Paul, though, looks around Athens and he's deeply distressed. Your translation may say provoked. Why? when he saw that the city was full of idols. Now, an idol can be anything you place ahead of God. Anything you make God that is not God can be an idol. But specifically what Paul was seeing was actually carved and shaped images of gold and silver and wood and all these kind of things, statues that were representing little g gods. Does that make sense? We're tracking with that? So he looked at this, And he's deeply distressed. Now, why is he deeply distressed? Why does that stir something up in him? It's because Paul knew and knows the one true living God. And to see people who didn't know him, to see people who were worshiping created things, kind of left a bad taste in his mouth. All right? It made him want to say something, it made him care about their eternity. Now, some of you may think of this, and you may think, well, I get stirred up when people dishonor God. But do you do it in a way that glorifies God? Because the way I see that is somebody does something we don't like, and we're like, I am provoked to anger, righteous anger in God. I can't believe they would sing that song in church. 
or whatever the thing may be. That's, that's more of getting up on a high horse. That's not, that's not being righteously provoked by God. Okay? Paul here appears to be righteously provoked. That's not directly in that verse, but the way he goes with what his sermon says, it seems like he really is wanting them to know who God is and know that they can know God and no longer worship these carved images. Now, why is this so important? Why is it such a big deal to know God? Why would I title a whole sermon Knowing God? Why would this stir up Paul? John 17.3, I think, gives us some insight there. John 17.3 is Jesus praying, and he says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Typically, if you ask people, like, do you want to live forever? People are like, sure, that sounds good. Even if they don't believe in God, they're open to some idea of what's it going to be like to have eternal life. Some people in churches, we over-worship that, and we only think about eternity and forget that we still have today to glorify God somehow. But when we look to eternity, that should inform our today. And when we think of eternal life, what do you think of? You think of sitting on a cloud playing a harp? Because if that's your idea of heaven, I don't want to be there. No. Eternal life, abundant life, goodness forever, is knowing and enjoying God, our creator, the great and mighty, the personable, the intimate, the loving, the gracious. This is eternal life. I've heard it said that if you want or would take heaven Without Jesus, it's not heaven that you want. Because he is the theme of heaven's praises. Forever and always, we will enjoy him. It'll be great to be like, oh, grandparents I haven't met, cool. Have you seen Jesus? That's how that conversation is going to go. Because he is central to eternity and he's central to now. And Paul knew this. He knew the centrality of God. He knew that God was magnificent and that he could be known. So what did he do? Look at verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshiped God. This is what he's done as per usual. He goes to places, he goes in the synagogue, he finds people who know God, even the Gentiles who may just have some idea of God, and that's where he always started. But look what else he did there in verse 17. As well as in the marketplace, every day with those who happen to be there. How many of you talk to people in line at the grocery store? I got... Oh, okay, I was going to say, oh, we had zero hands for a second. I was going to say, we are some unfriendly people. Let's work on that. Some of you, though, when I talk about talking to you in line, you're like, oh, I don't like when people talk to me in line. Don't do that. This just shows how different our cultures are now. In the marketplace then, you know, that's where you would go out to interact with people. That's where you go out to have these discussions about life. This is a commonplace thing. Paul went there. All right? He wanted to engage these people with the gospel, so he went to where they were outside of the synagogue to go and tell them. Now, just because our culture is different today doesn't mean we get a pass on that, everybody. I think today the only place that people try to discuss ideas is social media, and that's really just people saying what they think and not listening to anybody else. So if that's the place that you have debates and discussions, that's the only place, I encourage you to just stop. Cut that cord. Don't, don't do that anymore. Look at people in the eye like I'm looking you in the eye now. You don't have to stand up on a podium. That's not what I mean. Go sit down and have coffee with them if that's your thing. I'm not a big coffee drinker. Go have lunch. Go to their home. Invite them over to your home. Engage with people on a real level. Paul went out to talk to them. 
because this was important, this mattered. Verse 18 says, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? That's kind of mean. Paul's out here trying to tell them the good news of who Jesus is and talk about their gods and the God. And they say, who is this ignorant show-off? What is he talking about? Now, you notice it said Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Don't worry, I'm not going to give you a lecture on what that even means. Basically, these were common themes of the day that people thought that were not Christian, okay? They had different views of God than Christianity, and they thought they knew something because they're like, we've been in Athens. We've been having these debates. We've been having these discussions. We're philosophizers, and I meant to say it that way. They thought they were somebody. And who was this Paul who just showed up in town and suddenly was talking about somebody else? Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they even admit, he's telling us about a God that we don't know. Now, in this pagan time, they had so many gods that they were open to hearing about other gods. They may not worship your God alone, but they may take some of the truths about your God or or, or take some statues and some names, and they may try to give you some of theirs as well. It wasn't like it is now where people are like, well, you're, you're a Christian or, or you're a Jew or you're, you're Muslim or you're an atheist. They, they didn't really have these silos. It was more like some people would think Hinduism maybe today a little bit, but not exactly like Hinduism either because these were all like carved images. But they hear what Paul is saying and they recognize it to be foreign. So, so far we have Paul who knows God and is provoked. We have these people who do not know God what is Paul to do? They're calling him an ignorant show-off. Some of them want to hear more. He's talking about Jesus and the resurrection. Notice in the text there it says the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. He's telling them the gospel. He's going and proclaiming the gospel. I think often when we interact with people, we think, I have to answer all their questions. I have to be more informed. I'm not skilled enough. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a professor. I'm not whatever. If you know the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you know who he is and what he's done to save a people for himself through his life, death, and resurrection, you have good news to tell people. And that's what he goes and he tells. He tells them the good news of Jesus Christ. Verses 19 through 21 give us a little insight into these people he's talking to. It says, They took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, May we learn about this new teaching you're presenting. Because what you say sounds strange to us. And we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Now the book of Acts was written by Luke and it's telling this continued story of the furtherance of the church. And here he makes a little note in verse 21 that I think is important to understanding this whole dialogue that's going on. The Athenians didn't really care to know God. They just wanted to know something new. It was all about what's novel. Now, we would never do that in our society, would we? It's never just what the new headline is today, is it? Y'all, on Monday, somebody can get shot, and people can be hashtagging online all night somebody's name, and, oh, this is terrible, and we've all got to do something. The next day, somebody's team wins a big basketball game, and they're like, oh, man, it's our team, and we're all about that. Thursday, you got a holiday that week, and then by Friday, you're out shopping, and by Saturday, nobody even remembers what happened that week. We sound a lot like the Athenians. We always want the new thing rather than the true thing. 
seems like we want what's fleeting rather than what's lasting. So Paul knows this about them. Luke makes this note that this is what they wanted to know. And in verse 22, Paul's going to begin speaking to them. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus. By the way, the Areopagus that they're taking him to is Mars Hill or the Hill of Ares. Ares would have been the god of war. So there's just a place that they had these kind of things that actually usually was a court, but it had become this place where they had these discussions. So you really need to know. So in the middle of the Areopagus, he said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. Of course he did. If you read even historians at the time, they'll tell you that in Athens, if you just walk down the street, you could tell people were religious because they had all these different statues. They probably had festivals, all this craziness. They were religious people. Paul has news for them, though. Religion's not going to save anybody. That's true today. Just going through the motions of religion, not knowing who God is and what he's done through Jesus, is going to do you no good. He recognizes that they're religious, just as he was passing through. Verse 23, For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed, To an unknown God. To an unknown God. Now, if you're here on a rainy Sunday, there's a good chance that a lot of you know God. Thank you for being here. I'm glad you're here, brothers and sisters. If you don't, though, don't feel too left out. Because in a lot of our society, people do not know God at all. When we go as Christians to share with people, this means they're not going to have any common background with someone who was raised in a church. One of the most difficult things in learning to share the gospel in 2018, if you're a Christian, is you may have been raised in church, you may have heard all these different terms, and you go out and you start sharing the gospel And you start talking about resurrection and justification and glorification and exegesis and eisegesis and all these different things. And somebody's sitting there going, what are you talking about? Because we're in a Christian subculture that forgets that there are people who have no idea about God. And folks, we sit here in North Charleston. I've run demographics on this area. Throw a rock, you're going to hit a house where somebody lives who probably doesn't know God has no background in the faith. Some of you may not have had background in the faith and may have come to know God later in life. These people even admit that they don't know God, though. In fact, they had all these other gods around, and then they even put up an altar to one that said, to the unknown God, just so they wouldn't offend any God that maybe they missed. Right? I mean, if you believe they're just all these infinite amounts of gods you don't know about, that's probably a good call, because, like, I'm going to miss one. I don't want him to strike me dead. That's what they were going for. But look what Paul says. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Unbelieving friends, don't be offended when Paul says ignorance there, if you don't know God. What he means is ignorance in the plain sense, not in a derogatory sense. That just There's something you don't know that he wants you to know. And he's about to proclaim it. He finds this thing, says, this is the unknown God, I'm about to tell you about the God you can know. That sounds like a good book title or something. It is a book. Never mind. He begins to talk to these unbelievers who don't know God. And in verses 24 through 29, we get a really good introduction to God from Paul. Now think about that for a second. If you found out that your friend had no idea about Christianity, didn't know anything about the God of the Bible, had no background in that, where would you start? 
what's the first thing you would tell them about God? Now, it may depend on the conversation. It may depend on the individual. It may depend on your experience. It may depend on how well or unwell you know Scripture. But here we see what Paul was led to say to the Athenians that day. Look at verse 24. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, He is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands. He gives us two things there in verse 24. First, he says he's creator. This God that I'm proclaiming to you made everything. He made you, he made me. Second thing he says, he's Lord. Right there in the first verse, 24. He's Lord. He's reigning over all things. Notice that's even in the CSB, kind of its own hyphenated spot. He is Lord of heaven and earth. Lord means he's king. Lord means he's boss. Lord means he's doing what he wants to do, not what we're telling him to do. Okay? Verse 25, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. Two more things about God there. One, he's self-sufficient. I know this is going to really hurt some people in here. God does not need you. and He doesn't need me. He chooses to love us, to reveal himself to us in Jesus. He chooses to lower himself to rescue us. He does not need us. He is perfectly self-sustaining. Within the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, he is eternally loving. He does not need us to love. He does not need us to carry out his will. He chooses to do that because he's loving and gracious. So he's self-sufficient. He's also sustainer. You see what that says there? He himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. If you're here today and you don't believe in God, think for a moment about the fact that your heart's beating without you thinking about it. The synapses in your brain are firing off and you're not having to think, this one needs to fire off and this one needs to fire off. And you say, well, that's nature and that's chemistry. No, it's not. If we were any farther from the sun, we'd all freeze. If we were any closer to the sun, we'd all burn up. Our atmosphere is perfectly balanced to where we can breathe. Some of you are going, yeah, that's God's air you're breathing in. He's giving us life and breath. He's holding all things together right now. So, so far we've heard he's creator, Lord, self-sufficient, sustainer. Verse 26, from one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He is sovereign. Our God reigns and rules okay? He is high and mighty and great and grand. But look what he says next in verse 27. He did this so that they might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So yes, he is grand and majestic and beyond our comprehension, but he is also near and knowable. These are the two things that Paul primarily starts with. This is what he wants them to know about the true and living God as he begins to present. He even uses their own culture's literature in verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also, or we, we are also his offspring. Notice the logic he uses in verse 29. Since we are God's offspring then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. He quotes their own poets and says, listen, if he created us, 
we shouldn't think that he looks like other created things. We shouldn't think that he is like an object that I can pick up. Well, we shouldn't even think that God is necessarily just like us, which is often what we do, right? We project ourselves onto God rather than submitting to who he is in his word. Paul gives this grand picture of God, this glorious picture of God, and calls them to know him. I love that he gives a robust picture of God. I love that Paul described God as both above us and near us. You see, if we only think of God as above us, we may think he's distant or cold. A lot of times people who get really into theology start to feel that way. They, they get this only high view of God and we lose this intimate connection with him. When we only think of God as near us, though, on the other side, we tend to make our relationship with him more about us. And we lose sight of the beauty and grace in his power. God is not just the high reigning king. He's not just intimate and noble. He is both at the same time. He is the grand, powerful creator and sustainer of the universe who welcomes us as children. This is the God we can know through Jesus. In verse 30, he calls them to action. Therefore, have overlooked the times of ignorance. God now commands all people everywhere to repent. To repent. The times of ignorance made me think of 2 Peter 3, 9, which says, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not, waiting, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He's patient in that time of ignorance, wanting us to come and know him. Now, what does that word repent mean? It means to turn away from things that are not like God and turn to Jesus. It is literally a leaving behind of the life that we have in sin, a life that rebels against this holy and good God, a life that places us where we deserve punishment and turn to grace and holiness and newness in Christ. He calls all of us to repent. And this is gracious. Some may say, well, God's very demanding, isn't he? God is in a place to be demanding. He is authoritative. He alone is good. He alone is God. It is in a place to call us to turn from our evil ways and follow him. In verse 31, Paul continues, because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Why is Paul calling these people to repent? Why is he provoked within his spirit? Because he knows that God is going to righteously judge the living and the dead. He knows that a day is coming where we will stand before God and we won't be able to say, well, I had this altar that was to the unknown God. We won't be able to say, well, I was a member at this church and it was just part of my life. Wasn't that enough, God? No, the only ones who will be able to stand before God will be those who know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Those who say, I have nothing in myself, God. I take all my bad deeds, I take all my good deeds, and I throw them in the fire, and I cast myself at the cross of Jesus Christ. And I say, this is all I have, God. And he welcomes us in based on Jesus' righteousness. 
I love the end of verse 31 there where he gets back to the resurrection. He's provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. He speaks of the resurrection as fact, not as something that was thought up or dreamed up. The resurrection is not a metaphor. Jesus died for his people and was dead for three days and came back to life and is reigning at the right hand of the Father now, interceding for his people. The resurrection proves the truth of God. And it shows us that God desires to make himself known to us. God is knowable. And not just in theory. Again, I told you at the beginning, I don't want you to just write down, I can know God. I want you to think for a minute. There is no other God who stepped out of heaven to save his people. It's the first Sunday of December. Christmas season is upon us. Some of you are, whoa, and we hate that. Some of you are way too excited. I hope you'll be celebrating the birth of a Savior. I hope you'll be celebrating and remembering that Jesus came to rescue us, to save us from ourselves. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't sit up in heaven and go, all right, once they're good enough, I'll come down and get them. No, he saw us in our mess He saw us in our rebellion. He saw us in our bitterness. And he came in love. One of my favorite themes of the Christmas season really ties in to this idea. And it's just a word. The word Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 23, Scripture says, See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel which is translated, God is with us. Jesus came as fully God and fully man, lived the life we should have, died the death we should have, and rose again three days later to defeat sin and death and to give us hope in this life. Hope for what? Hope for eternal life that is knowing and enjoying God forever. What I love is I read you that verse from Matthew chapter 1. And if you go to the end of Matthew, literally the last verse in Matthew, chapter 28, verse 20, the book ends with Jesus saying, I am with you always to the end of the age. John Wesley knew the importance of this earth-shattering truth. It said that Wesley's last words were, the best of all is God with us. Folks, the God who created you, who's sustaining you right now, knows everything you did wrong today and yesterday and the day before that. And he loves you enough that he became one of us, was tempted in every way we are yet without sin, and willingly went to the cross in our place He died a horrific death, bearing the wrath of God that we should bear so that we can know him, so that we can be with him. If you think this is crazy, if you're here today and you're like, that's just weird, is God like an alien that comes down and gets people? If you think this is nuts, don't worry, you're not alone. Verse 32 says, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. They were making fun of him again. 
There he is. He's back talking about the resurrection. We just wanted to hear about the other stuff. We wanted to add an altar to our list of other gods. But others said, we'd like to hear you again about this. If you're here today and you say, I'm interested, I want to hear you again about this, I want to press urgency for you. I want to press that you can know God today, right where you are. If you trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, right where you are, you are justified before God and you can know him intimately. Don't wait. Life is short. Don't think, I'll get my stuff together later in my life. Don't do that. He has purpose for you today. It wasn't just that some ridiculed him and some just wanted to hear him later. Says Paul left their presence. However, some people join him and believe. And it names off two people for us there who believed. It says two and others with them. I think a lot of times we get this picture that every time they preached in the New Testament, just droves of people came. It's the Acts 2 picture. Thousands are getting saved every time. These people are just great preachers. The Holy Spirit was just so active among them. We forget that when we go and share the gospel, if even one person hears, we've witnessed a miracle and someone has received eternal life. Unbeliever, if you're here today, I want you to know that God is real. He's more real than you and me right now. He created everything and he reigns supreme and yet we can know him personally. Turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus. Unbeliever, if you want to know more about that, please talk to me. During the song, after service, talk to Philip. Talk to one of our people you've seen serving around. The members here can tell you about Jesus, who he is and what he's done and how you can know him. I also want to address a crowd that I don't always address. I want to address those of you who may be here today who think you're a believer but you don't know God according to his word. You don't know God through Jesus. You know the God of your imagination. You know the God as he is convenient for you. And that is no Lord. And I assure you that is no Savior. Repent and believe in Jesus today. Don't you want to know God as he reveals himself in Jesus and in his word? Believer, those of you who do know God in Jesus Christ, if you know God, you will want to make him known. We see Paul here knows God, and he is stirred to make him known to other people. Everywhere he goes, not just in the synagogue, out in the marketplace, out of the Areopagus. Believer, do you find in yourself any compassion when you hear of other people who don't know Jesus? Does it stir anything in you? Is it just anger because, oh, society is not like you want it to be? Or is there a longing to see people come to know God? We're supposed to be God's family on mission here at Radiant Church. Today we're going to hear a lot about connecting, and one of those things is connecting with unbelievers. We're called to love and serve our unbelieving neighbors, y'all, even if they reject this message. Are we doing that? 
Are we passionate about that? Are we engaging as Paul is? Are we willing to go and introduce God and say, listen, I know you don't know him. I know you ridicule me and think I'm crazy, but I want you to know this God. Knowing God and being known by God matter more than anything else in this life. I don't say that flippantly. Knowing God and being known by God matter more than anything in this life. Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you find joy in him? It's said that the chief end of man, the reason we exist, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You can begin knowing God today through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.